welcome to our Love Lansing podcast, provided by the Lansing State Journal, part of the USA Today Network. I'm your host, Kelsey Pence, and I'm here to fill you in on what's coming, what you missed, and what you need to know if you truly love Lansing like me. We're just over two weeks away from Halloween, and we're getting in the spirit this week with a haunted Love Lansing podcast. I'm joined this episode by Michigan State Campus Archaeology Director Dr. Lynn Goldstein, along with MSU grad student Lisa Bright, and they are going to give us some details on the third annual MSU Haunted Campus Tour happening October 20th. Welcome to the Love Lansing Podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. What can people expect on this tour? Um, the tour is, um, there are six stops on the tour, and it's in the oldest part of campus. People meet us at Beaumont Tower, and at Beaumont, we sort of orient them to what the tour is about and tell them, at each stop, we tell them something about the history and the archaeology of MSU that relates to perhaps haunting things. Yes. And then we also are doing this in conjunction with a student organization, the MSU Paranormal Society. And so there'll be a student from the Paranormal Society at each stop as well. And they'll tell you what they know about, we'll tell you what we know historically about ha mm -hmm. you know, things that might be haunted, and they will tell you what they have learned through their examination. So was this event pretty successful the first two years? It was. I mean, last year the weather was miserable, and I suppose that's a possibility again yeah. this time. But even with bad weather, we ended up with quite a few people. We've averaged around 70 or so, but we're, you know, we certainly can accommodate more. I think this is a great idea, and I'm so excited to take the tour. How did you guys come up with this idea? Um, I guess I came up with it, and it was just a, you know, I just thought it would be a fun thing to do because there's stories about all of these places mm -hmm. and some and people who go to MSU people who work there know some of them but certainly if you're a freshman you don't know mm -hmm. all of them and you don't know the context of them so we decided one of the things we could do is teach people about archaeology and about the context of some of these stories so that um, they would have a better understanding of it and it was just seems fun yeah, it does. So is this targeted towards MSU alum or Spartans, or is it... Anybody. Anybody. So have you had people from outside the, the oh, yeah. campus come yeah. and enjoy it? And yeah. it is a family-friendly event. It's not like some of the haunted houses where we're going to jump out and scare you. Yeah. So I was going to ask, can, can, yeah. if kids want to come, can kids yes. come? Yes, and it's not very scary. much so. yeah. Do most of these stories or the mysteries come from the same time period, or are they kind of spread out? They're spread out. They're yeah. spread out. They're not all from the same period. You talked a little bit about this earlier. What's the history that you guys really go into in this tour? Well, most of most of the work we do on campus, the archaeological work, we work with archives and we work with, mm -hmm. um, you know, the history of the campus as well as the archaeology. So we're not we don't talk so much about prehistoric, mm -hmm. but we talk about the history of MSU. And so it's not only what. Um, what people have said or written about what's haunted, but it's also based on our excavations and things we found that either might um, suggest that maybe it was haunted, or mm -hmm. um, or you know, or something that you know might be a little weird. So I have to ask: <laughs> Does anybody ever bring up the legacy of James Egbert, the student who disappeared from his dorm in 1979? There's a lot of talk that students were playing in the steam tunnels below the school, and I was wondering if you ever got questions. We we, we haven't gotten a question about that, which is kind of interesting that we haven't. But I don't 
recall that we did. Yeah, we don't talk specifically about the steam tunnels. We have done some work with them in the last few years, and they are very creepy. But um, <laughs> since we haven't excavated down there, um, we don't tend to yeah. get too many questions. So have there been any recent apparitions, or are all these mysteries from way long ago? Most of them are from the past, right? Because, um, you know, if there were recent ones, it would be more likely that the students in the Paranormal Society would talk about them because we would not be doing something that was too recent. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the most recent is the Mary Mayo haunting, which is probably the most well-known. Yes, I, I definitely heard about yeah. that when I was at MSU. And there are several parts to it. So. Yeah. The Paranormal Society does bring their ghost-detecting equipment with them, so oh. there will be those at each station, so you'll be able to see things like EVP detectors oh. and AM, FM radio cyclers, and so they will be demonstrating that as well. Awesome. So what are some of the recognizable landmarks or things that people really might recognize on this tour? Like, oh, I've seen that before. Uh, Beaumont Tower, mm -hmm. obviously. Definitely. Um, uh, another one would be uh, Saints Rest, where we excavated. There's okay. a sign there. Uh, Linton Hall is near uh, yes. Linton Hall is another one, um, where um, the uh, Morrill Hall used to be. You know, now it's mm -hmm. sort of uh, yeah. an odd. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And uh, and Mary Mayo is another one. So I mean, and and uh, the. Um, um, Sleepy Hollow. But the Sleepy the Hollow is the other. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sleepy Hollow is the other one that, you know, there are lots of stories about Sleepy Hollow. So, do you guys have to do many practice runs or much preparation for this event? Some. Some. Is not. it getting easier as the yeah, years go easier. on? Yeah. The more you do it, the easier it is. But we have new people every time also. Oh, awesome. Well, the free tour is happening Thursday, October 20th from 7 to 8 p.m. and starts at Beaumont Tower. Thank you, ladies, so much for joining us. We really My appreciate pleasure. it. Sticking with our theme of haunted tours and tales, Kathleen is here to fill us in on some spooky stories from around the state. Kathleen, what do you got for us? Well, you know what? Here's what I have. I'm working on a compilation right now that's not quite ready, but um, you'll be seeing it soon and listening to it soon. And it is um, basically there are a lot of places in Michigan that are haunted, like theoretically for real. For example, there are some paranormal uh, folks who have been trying to get some readings at the Turner Dodge Mansion in um, Lansing, and they will be kind of releasing that shortly. So we'll okay. take a look and see what they have to say. Um, there are other places around the state that people keep going to and are kind of sure that things are happening. Like I'll tell you about one of them is um, near Paris, Michigan, which is up by Big Rapids, and it is um, there's a green light that is visible. So if you go and park on this country road, uh, everyone 100% guarantees, huh, as much as you can guarantee something <laughs> like this, that there's going to be a green light moving through the woods. And the story behind this green light is that uh, an Amish uh, family was in a buggy accident there, and it is the dad with a lantern looking for his child Aww. who was lost in the accident. So, you know, there's tons of spots around Michigan that kind of have this kind of lore. Uh, there's a cemetery near Grayling called Parashaney where a lot of the town died in an epidemic. And okay. so people feel that that place also is a very kind of haunted place. So whether you believe it or not, I think it's still kind of interesting to just think about this and maybe kind of a fun place to visit. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you, are these 
places that people actually go and visit for the purpose of visiting them because they're haunted. So they do. Is yes. that what you're saying? People who are interested in ghosts and haunting and lore like this will go and uh, purposely make a visit to these sites. Now, some sites um, are on private property and you have to be careful when you visit those <laughs> and the because the neighbors or the owners yeah. are not very happy about you being there. So we would not necessarily rush willy-nilly all around yeah. the, the state looking for for haunted sites but um but uh but there are there are theoretically really haunted sites out there um you've also written about michigan's mythical creatures how do these stories differ or do they do you find them all kind of well you know they do differ because the mythical creatures are theoretically real right okay and they're theoretically something that is in our dimension living and breathing right here with us who are living and breathing and the paranormal stories are a little bit different because they are you know people who have um passed on or not passed on or are stuck in the process of passing on to the next uh, to the next world so um so they really are kind of different um you know, the, the the end result is the same. Yeah. You're out looking for something that you may or may not yeah. find and may or may not believe in. But um, but they're two kind of different things. However, there are some places where these two kinds of things come together. Ooh, um, okay. And one of those places is uh, Saugatuck. There is a mansion in Saugatuck called the Felt Mansion. And a lot of people visit that cool old house, big grounds. Um Near the grounds of that mansion, people claim that there are these uh, people who, small people who live in the woods called the melon heads. I think we've talked about yes, them before. Uh, and um, they may or may not be there. Uh-huh. It may or may not be an interesting local story, but the felt mansion is um, offering darkness tours for the next couple of weekends, um, October 20th to the 23rd and the 27th to the 31st. And so what they're going to let you do is um, go through the mansion by flashlight on a self-guided tour. And you may search yourself for ghosts or melon heads or whatever you think you might find out there. And I'm guessing that this is probably going to be a pretty fun experience for the people who do it. So if you want to plan a weekend getaway, um, now's the time to do it. Go to Sagatuck and go to the Felt Mansion and, and look at those kinds of things. I got to imagine that there's a lot of mind games going on. I think if I was in a dark mansion with a flashlight, I would, you know, every little creek would make me jump. Exactly. Exactly. So I think I think that would be super fun. Definitely. So have you been to any of these places? Um, I have been to the Felt Mansion, but not in the dark. Okay. But- <laughs> But I think that might be fun now that we are we're talking about it. Um, there's another one that I want to mention because um, the Ford uh, Piquette Avenue plant, one of the original um, mm-hmm. Ford production facilities, you know, it is kind of a classic, scary old turn of the century sort of um, factory. And they're doing a ghost tour on October 20th, 23rd and 30th, also on their Sunday afternoons and evenings. And in that particular case, um, again, who knows if there are really ghosts there or not, but they're going to let you look in there. And, and in this particular case, they're open up parts of the factory that are not normally open and creepy old factory. I'm thinking um, that might be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever been on Michigan State's haunted campus tour? 
I have not, but I, I want to do that now. Yes, it's on the 20th as well, and I am definitely doing it because I am really excited to learn about the history. There's a lot of history. RJ, have you been on that one yet? Uh, no. The closest I came was participating in a haunted hall event when I was a student there, so I was scaring undergrads as they walked through the building. So. <laughs> wow. How'd you get that job? I was an RA, and they made all of the resident hall staff participate They made you it. do it. They I was made laying on you. a table. They would walk by, and I would like jump up and yell and whatnot. So. You know, and I sit next to RJ every day and I just have a hard time seeing him as frightening. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know if I would be super scared. No offense. I'm pretty sure I was wearing a mask. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you guys get into any of the haunted corn mazes or haunted houses during this time of year? I feel bad because the whole time this is going on, I'm like, I don't, I don't really believe in ghosts, you know, yeah. not to discount anyone's <laughs> personal, you know, experience. I haven't had like a a ghostly encounter so to speak so uh, i'm gonna put me down in the skeptic category but yeah. I mean, we do like the haunted trails and stuff every year i'm sure i'll go on that uh, with my girlfriend here later in the month yeah the corn mazes are always fun too uh-huh. I-, I mean those are just scary yeah fun exactly. because you never know what exactly is going to happen I would say I'm a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to these uh, haunted tales, but but I always like kind of learning about them still because I'm like, oh, there could be a chance. But I used to really get into the haunted corn mazes. We used to do that every year before the start of basketball season. My whole team would go out and do a haunted corn maze. So nothing like haunted corn maze for team bonding, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, RJ, moving on to you and sticking with our MSU theme, an 18-month-old yellow Labrador retriever is the 10th active member of the Michigan State University Police Department's canine unit. Cora arrived on campus on October 5th and brings MSU's canine total to 10, the most ever active at one time. How does MSU's large number of canines benefit this region? Well, one of the things is they need a lot of canines for their own purposes because they've got some large venues, you know, Spartan Stadium, the Breslin Center, the Wharton Center, places where there are tons of people that could be, you know, potentially pretty dangerous if the wrong person got in there. Um, That's never happened, you know, at least as far as the officers I talked to remember. So it's just about keeping those places secure. Like they've got, you know, somewhere around eight canines at Spartan Stadium on a football day to make sure they're sniffing everybody, sniffing everything that comes in. Uh, So that's really the biggest thing for them. And then regionally, it just helps bolster everyone else because no one has anywhere close to 10 dogs, you know, in terms of individual departments. The county has four, Lansing has five. So having 10 at MSU, they can call upon those resources when they need them to track suspects or to sniff a suspicious vehicle. So it it really helps everybody out because they can lean on MSU a bit. So how did this region get so lucky to have so many? It's just, you know, because MSU has really had a good experience with it. They uh, were the first department locally to have a canine officer in the 80s. Once they got one, everybody else started seeing how helpful they were, and then everyone started to get them, and slowly but surely it's become more common around the area. Do you think places like, you know, the University of Michigan or other big universities will start to incorporate stuff like this in their towns and their regions? Yeah. And I mean, there's also the fact that it's a good community relations tool. You know, I had an MSU police officer tell me that he would get as many canines canines as possible because of just that factor of lowering people's fears about the police. Because you might be scared of a cop who walks up to you, but if you know the dog, if you're a dog person like most people out there, you know, it, it lowers tensions a little bit. So there is that aspect. Whenever I think of police dogs, I think of them um, pretty much sniffing out for suspects, like you said, or searching lockers for drugs. I remember we always had drug dogs come around my high school. Sure. What else can they do? Can they do anything else? Well, you know, there's so at MSU, they have 
I believe it is seven dogs that are multi-purpose, but more specifically with bomb detection and explosives, and then two narcotics, and then their new dog, Cora, is a special kind of dog that detects explosives worn underneath somebody's clothes. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of explosives. That's like the biggest thing because, you know, the drug factor's there, but the explosives mm-hmm. are potentially more dangerous, right? Uh, so it's a lot of that and just making sure that everything that comes onto campus into these big venues is safe. So whenever I see a dog, my instinct is to run up and pet it. Can you pet police dogs? You can. Uh, They prefer if you ask beforehand, you know, because sometimes the dogs will be doing something, you know. But, I mean, when I went, I saw four MSU police dogs when I was out there uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were all super friendly. Like, uh, they walked right up to you and wanted your affirmation. And I know sometimes with, like, service animals, they encourage you not to pet them. But with these canine officers, because they have a life-independent more so of their jobs that they want to be socialized especially the msu dogs because they're around thousands of people on football days so they have to be comfortable with people and having all sorts of people around them so being comfortable being pet by people is part of that i have to imagine that having dogs on your staff um, makes for a pretty fun job i'm sure many of the people you interviewed were pumped to be getting another another dog to their yeah absolutely i mean they all love them and they so the the handlers actually bring the dogs home with them at the end of the day so these are with them 24 hours a day work and home so it just oh, wow. they really enjoy it you know some of them it's their only pet whereas there are other officers who have dogs in addition to their canine oh. partner so that seems like a cool relationship to me right because you've got the one dog who's a you know hardcore trained, yeah you know, and then they got the other two dogs that just sit at <laughs> just home like, all day so. so this dog is saying hey i am going to work yeah I'm yeah. Doing the other dogs here. are like oh yeah whatever <laughs> yeah we'll just stay here and eat our kibbles and bits yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say the canine supervisor said he has two dogs that stay at home and one that comes with him to work and the other two are very jealous at the start of yeah. the day when he leaves so i bet well, you just posted another story. An MSU weather balloon took an unexpected trip to Canada. Yeah. I uh, want to know what a weather balloon is first. Well, so a weather balloon is something that the scientists send up into the air to get atmospheric readings, um, that kind of information that they can use for forecasting. In this case, it was a student club that was kind of doing it as a trial run to see what would happen and if their projections turned out to be reality. In this case, they did not. Uh, so they anticipated it being up there for about three hours, coming down around Lapeer, a little east of Flint. Uh, they drove out there and uh, didn't come down, and they weren't getting any GPS signals. So they just kind of threw up their hands and said, well, I guess we'll figure it out. Went back home. The next morning, the club's vice president got a text saying what the GPS coordinates were, and it was in Ontario. Uh, about It had flown for 14 hours as opposed to the three they were expecting. So so how are they expecting to know where it was coming down? Just the GPS? Based on air currents and how long it will take the balloon to get up to the height, at which point it, the air pressure differences cause the balloon to expand, the helium inside to expand, okay. pop, then it falls down. But there were air currents that were taking this balloon higher and higher and up and down, so it kept going without popping and falling to the ground. That's what they think, at least. You know, they haven't even recovered this thing yet. So we'll probably have a better idea once they get their hands on it. But right now, it's 75 feet off the ground, stuck in a tree in Ontario. So what's the next step? So the next step, uh, what they did, so they, they knew it was in Ontario, and the, they couldn't, you know, drive out there and get it that day. So they went on Reddit, on uh, our Canada, the Canadian message board section of Reddit, and the guy asked for help. He said, anyone in this area, like, happen to want to go out and try to find a weather balloon? And there were a bunch of them that did. And so they did track it down. It was on a piece of private land, and they found the thing, and they made sure it was okay with the landowner that they're there. But 
those students are planning to travel to Ontario this weekend to climb up that tree and retrieve the balloon. And are you going to follow up on that story? Yeah, uh, especially since they have a GoPro with it that what they said could record up to six hours of air footage. So from the moment it left campus, uh, the Biomedical Physical Sciences Building, from the moment up there for about six hours, it should have video, assuming it wasn't damaged in the fall. But I'd really like to see that, especially like the first 20 minutes to an hour of when it's over campus and you really get that aerial view you normally don't get. So that'd be cool. I'm definitely going to follow up and see what they got. That'll be interesting. Stay on the lookout at LSJ.com for that story. All right, let's get to some headlines you may have missed. The buildings at the corner of Okemos and Hamilton Roads were supposed to be torn down to make way for a $10 million downtown development project. But Douglas J., which bought the three properties in 2012, pulled the plug on the project last month. The two buildings and empty lot in downtown Okemos will likely sit dormant until another interested developer decides to buy them. I, I remember writing about this when I was a student. Like I had my beat in this class was Okemos Meridian Township. And I remember when that went through and there were all these big, wow, you know, I'm going to change downtown Okemos. And it's kind of, you know, sad that it's not going to happen. But it, it's just such an interesting like location that the tuba museum and restaurant there, like I talked to the owner and he was such an interesting guy. And it's sad that that's going to continue to just sit there for now. Exactly. I live in Okemos and I love that intersection. I drive it to pretty much everywhere I go. I use that intersection and I just think there's so much potential. So I'm hoping something comes back there because there's a lot of potential. If you're over 21 years of age, you can now smoke marijuana in your front yard in East Lansing without being arrested. East Lansing passed an ordinance Tuesday night that allows people over the age of 21 to use or possess less than an ounce of marijuana on private property. For those under the age of 21, it's a civil infraction that carries a fine of $25 and community service or a required substance abuse course. So that kind of comes with some caveats, right? Uh, one of them being that the state, you can still be charged under state law mm-hmm. for violating if you're you know, smoking marijuana or have possession. Um, but it's just the local ordinance is not going to punish you as much. So as much as people might want to celebrate this, it should kind of come with some caveats. You know, if you re- if the officer really wants to, he can still definitely peg you for the state crime. Good to know. A 91-year-old Lansing woman known to most as Miss Betty is retiring from JCPenney after 67 years. The company recently threw her a going-away party. See, now I love this story for so many reasons. One, because this lady really proves that you can um, just live your life to the very fullest Mm -hmm. for a long, long time. And um, two, because everybody loved her so much. Yeah. (laughs) It just sounds like she had amazing following and and customers who came back to her over and over again. And and it's just a a great example. And I I hope that um, she finds plenty to do now that she is retired. Yes, she deserves it. A graduate of Michigan State University who relied on scholarships in the 1960s to help complete his college education is giving away $5.3 million to the school's College of Engineering. The university announced Tuesday that the donor, who wishes to remain anonymous, will use cash and estate planning for the gift so endowed scholarships may be offered. Yeah, I really wanted to know who that is. You know, most of the time when people give this kind of money... Um, there's a lot of publicity. Around I was going to say, I feel like it's rare that you get this big of a, a donation without a name. Right. Um, you know, and I get that some people don't want to have that kind of publicity. Um, and I'm sure the university is, is fine with it. But, you know, it, it's really it would be interesting to know who at, who that is. I don't have any speculation at this point. But uh, 
if you got any ideas, feel free to send me an email, rwolcott at lsj.com. And whoever this guy is, I just love him. And I have two kids who are going to go to college soon. And uh, I will humbly thank anyone who offers scholarship money to kids. And I like it also because this is a person who used scholarship money. And so I think that's awesome to give back. It's really. a great circle. Yeah. Yeah. Full circle. A new Sparty has moved into the MSU Union. The shiny new statue of the university's mascot is perched on a bench with its arms outstretched, perfect for photo ops. At an unveiling ceremony Wednesday, dozens of people waited in line to sit on the bench and be photographed while the real Sparty struck a pose and soaked in all the attention. I'm really excited for this. I can't wait to take my Sparty selfie. I'm I'm laughing that we're saying the real Sparty. The real Sparty. (laughs) I was going to say it. It reminded me of like a... I don't know what, if this is like common, but I remember in McDonald's when I was growing yes. up, there would be a Ronald McDonald statue sitting on a bench, the same kind of position, arms outstretched, so you could position yourself on either side. And that's every time I see it, that's all I see is Ronald McDonald. But maybe I'm weird like that. Well, clowns aren't doing too well right now, so oh. move over, Ronald. <laughs> Sparty is taking over the bench. This will probably be one of the top selfie spots on campus soon. Mm-hmm. I bet. Mm-hmm. Repaving of a mile-long portion of Michigan Avenue from Sparrow Hospital to just west of US-127 will begin Monday and last until the end of the month. The work will include milling of the worn portions of road to help put a smooth layer of asphalt on top. The repaving work along Michigan Avenue will, will require the city to close two lanes of traffic on either side of the road for about two weeks. Okay, so I drive this road all the time and my first thought is oh dang two lanes closed Mm -hmm. and my second thought is bring it because that road it's disgraceful condition um and i just feel like i'm gonna need an alignment every time i drive over it (laughs) yeah now i'm waiting for the changes to kalamazoo because that's where i go it's same you know same sort of road it goes that you know east west and i go that down that one that one's horrible too so i'm waiting for my stretch of road to get fixed up (laughs) well i drive kalamazoo often enough too so yeah yeah i am uh, like this this uh summer when they closed uh i live on harrison road in east lansing and they closed the northern part to repave that and when it reopened there was jubilee in the land i imagine well mark your calendar love lansing for the lsj undebates next thursday october 20th from 5 30 to 8 30 p.m in the stadium district downtown find out more about these hot topics and local issues medical marijuana roads and transportation equality and lgbt rights guns and safety and college tuition and affordability visit our insider page for more information Thanks for listening to our Love Lansing podcast provided by the Lansing State Journal, part of the USA Today Network. Remember, all of the stories we talked about today can be found on my podcast page. I'll be here every week to fill you in on the most exciting news you might have missed. If you're feeling out of the loop, visit lsj.com slash lovelansingpodcast and let us fill you in. (laughs) 